Section 20 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Her eyes invited him. Lady Estelle and Doris went together through the beautiful conservatories that formed one of the great attractions of the castle, and Doris fancied herself in fairyland. She showed them that although she might have no particular love for nature, she had a grand eye for the picturesque. Lady Estelle desired her here and there to gather a spray of choice blossoms. She did so and the way in which she grouped and arranged them was marvellous. "'You have a good eye for color," said Lady Estelle, as she watched the white fingers with the scarlet and amber flowers. It pleased her to see the girl lingering among them, to see the beautiful face bending over the blossoms. They came to a pretty little corridor, roofed with glass, but the glass was hidden by the luxuriance of an exotic climbing plant. Great scarlet bells with white, fragrant hearts hung down in glorious profusion. In the middle of the corridor stood a large fountain, and the water was brilliant with goldfish. There were pretty seats half overhung by the leaves of the hanging plant. It was when they reached here that the servant came in search of Lady Estelle. She was wanted in the drawing-room to see some visitors who had arrived. She turned to Doris with a kindly smile. "'I'm sure you must be tired,' she said. "'Will you rest here? I'm sorry to leave you, but I shall not be long.' With the dignified air of a young princess, Doris seated herself, the footman looking on in silent wonder, he had rarely seen his languid mistress so attentive even to her most intimate friends. Then Doris was left alone in the rich, mellow light. The rippling spray of the fountain and the gleaming of the goldfish amused her for some time. Then she took up her magnificent flowers and began to arrange them. She was so deeply engaged with them that she did not hear the sound of footsteps. The velvet curtain at the end of the corridor was raised, and a tall, handsome man stood looking in mute wonder at the picture before him. There, in the mellow light, was a picture that for beauty of coloring could not be surpassed. The young girl, with the face of an angel, and hair of the purest shining gold, white hands that shone like snowflakes among the crimson and amber blossoms. The background was formed by the scarlet bells and green leaves of the drooping plant. He stood for some minutes, looking on in silent wonder, and while he so stands, Lord Charles Vivian is an object worth studying, tall, well-made, with a fine, erect figure, and easy, dignified bearing. He would attract attention even among a crowd of men. His face is handsome, but not good. The eyes are dark and piercing. The brows are arched and thick. But the mouth, 
the key to the whole face is a bad one the lips thick and weak are hidden by a moustache it is the face of a man who lives entirely to please himself who knows no restraint who consults his own inclinations and who would sacrifice every one and everything to himself the dark eyes are riveted on the golden hair and exquisite face of the girl it is some minutes before she becomes aware of his presence and then something causes her to look up and she sees those same dark eyes full of admiration glancing at her she does not blush but the dainty rose bloom deepens on her face and the violet eyes flash back a look of archest coquetry into his own that look decided him if she had blushed or looked at all embarrassed he being what is called a gentleman would have turned away that glance so full of fire of coquetry so subtle so sweet seemed to start something like delicious poison through his veins he comes nearer to her making a most profound and respectful bow then he sees her dress so plain and homely although coquettishly worn and he is at a loss to imagine who she can be the loveliness the perfect aristocratic grace of face and figure are what he would have expected from a visitor at downsbury castle the impress of high birth is on both of them but the dress is not even equal to that of a lady's maid yet she's sitting there so perfectly at her ease she must be a visitor lord charles vivian with his eyes still riveted upon her speculates in vain i beg pardon he says at last i hope you will accept my apologies but i was told that lady estelle was here and i wished to see her she will return very soon replies doris the words are brief and simple but the eyes seem to say stay with me till she comes have i the pleasure of speaking to a visitor at the castle he asks with a bow then she blushes feeling more ashamed than ever of brackenside and its belongings i came to see the castle she replies and lady estelle is kind enough to show me the flowers he understood at once then saying to himself that in all probability she was a protegee of my lady's the daughter of some tenant farmer who had as a great treat been promised a sight of the wonders of the castle he was perfectly at ease then there was no such admirer of fair women in all the world as lord vivian and this was the fairest he had ever seen a farmer's daughter without the prestige of rank and wealth to save her fair prey for him had she been the daughter of a duke an earl a baron he would simply have laid his plans for flirting with her as it was he sat down and deliberately said to himself that heart 
and soul should be his. Some little faults lay at her door. Her eyes invited him. They said things that lips would not have dared to utter. They were full of the sweetest and most subtle invitation, gracefully veiled by the long dark lashes. Lord Charles had done as he would all his life, and now that his eyes rested on this fairest of all faces, he was not likely that he would let anything baffle him. You have a beautiful resting place, he said. I have never seen anything to equal the beauty of this plant. It is very beautiful, she replied. To me, it seems like a fairyland. I have been staying here for a week, he continued, and I have not seen half the beauty of the castle yet. You have been staying here, she said, with unconscious stress on the word here. Yes, I admire the scenery hereabouts. I think it is almost about the finest we have. I have never been out of this country, she replied, so I cannot tell. He raised his dark brows in surprise. You've never been away from home, he said. What a pity, and what a shame. Why is it a shame, she asked, with another of those sweet glances that invited him to woo her. Providence does not send such a face as yours in the world once in a century, he replied. And then all the world should see it. Doris looked pleased, not shy or timid. She was perfectly at home with him, and he saw it. I must introduce myself, he said, as Lady Estelle does not return. I am Lord Charles Vivian. If I dare, I should ask to whom I have the honor of speaking. She did blush then, with gratified vanity and delight. It was something that she should have a handsome lord by her side, and that he should admire her. He did admire her, she knew. She could read it in his eyes, and the flattering homage of his smile. Lord Charles Vivian. She wondered whether he was very rich, great and celebrated. A lord. Oh, if she could only make a conquest of him. I wish I dare ask to whom I have the honor of speaking. And then she raised her eyes with something of defiance and said, My name is Doris, Doris Brace. He said the name softly, Doris. What a pretty name. Now that you have been kind enough to answer me one question, I should like to ask another. Do you live near here? I live at Brackenside, she replied. My father is a tenant of the Duke's. He is a farmer. Then I was right in my first surmise, he said. Pray, what was that? asked Doris. I was watching you for some minutes before you saw me, and I guessed you were a daughter of one of the Duke's tenants. She raised her head with a magnificent pride and lofty disdain that almost annihilated him. That is to say, 
You thought I looked like a farmer's daughter. I thank you so much for the compliment. Nay, he replied, I thought you looked like a queen. The dark eyes seemed to flash light and love into her. It must be admitted that Lord Charles Vivian thoroughly understood the art of winning women. Doris, he said, I am struck with the name, because I do not remember that I ever met with any one who bore it before. How beautiful these flowers are! Will you give me one to keep in memory of this, our first meeting? She tightened her hold on the scarlet and amber blossoms. He could not help noticing the beauty of the white hand that held them. I think not, she replied. In all the poems that I ever read, something is done to win a flower before it is given. I have done something to win it, he replied. She raised her beautiful eyes to his. Have you? I did not know it. Will you tell me what it is? If you will promise me not to be angry, he whispered. She drew back from him and laughed. How can I be angry, she asked. I beg of you to tell me what you've done to win a flower. His eyes seemed to light his face with love and passion. I will tell you what I have done, he said. In one minute I have laid at your feet, in silence, the homage that another could not have won in a whole year. Now will you give me a flower? He took one of the scarlet blossoms, and in doing so his fingers touched hers. I shall never part with it, he said. Then he heard the sound of the opening of the conservatory door, and he knew that Lady Estella was coming. Shall you be very angry with me? he asked in a quiet whisper. If you see me near your home? No she replied. Then he arose and went over to the other end of the conservatory, so that when Lady Estelle entered, she could not have any idea that they had exchanged one word. Still, she looked surprised, and not very well pleased at finding him there. He came forward quickly, never even looking at Doris. "'I had hoped to find you here, Lady Estelle,' he said. "'I have waited your return.' I'm going over to Hydenlow this morning. You said that you wished me to take something to Lady Eleanor. Yes, she replied. I will attend to it. I shall see you before you go. She dismissed him with a queenly bow, and he went, never once looking at Doris. But her eyes lingered on him, till he was out of sight. Then she looked at Lady Estelle, and they seemed to reproach the Duke's daughter that she had not considered her worthy of an introduction. Lady Estelle perfectly understood the mute reproach, but would not notice it. I am sorry, she said languidly, that the Duchess is so busily engaged this morning. She has asked me to say that she wishes you well in the new life opening to you. It is time to go, thought Doris. Her quick tact seemed to be almost a sixth sense. She thanked Lady Estelle for her kindness, and Lady Estelle did what was very unusual for her, held out her hand. Goodbye, she said with a faint, sad smile. 
you will remember our little argument and always bear in mind that the greatest of earthly blessings is love i shall remember that you have said so laughed doris wondering why the cold jeweled hand held hers so tightly if i never see you again said the languid caressing voice i shall not forget you and i wish you well there was something so strange in the lady's face and manner that doris was half startled the usual light graceful words did not come so easily good-bye she repeated this has been the happiest day in my life and i thank you for it she turned away to follow the servant who had come in search of her but the quiet gentle eyes of lady estelle rested on her until she was out of sight end of section number twenty